Yo, I'm Shay Serrano. And I'm Brandon Jinx Jenkins. We have a new show called No Skips with Jinx and Shay. In it, we discuss the most unskippable albums in hip-hop history. New episodes drop on Thursdays, only on Spotify. This episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast is presented by State Farm. If you ever been in an accident and you're okay, but you know what happened? Your first reaction is going to be, man, why did that happen? If you ever buy a new house or a new car or a new anything, there's this little rush you get when you're like, I did it. I made it happen. But really, the only words you need to remember are like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to help choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer partner of the NBA. It's just what you need to sit back and enjoy the game. And they're also getting fans closer to the game than ever. You can win exclusive NBA prizes like courtside seats, signed memorabilia, and more. I love Michelob because of how light it is. It's only 95 calories with 2.6 carbs. You know what the perfect time for Michelob Ultra is? A little doubleheader, a little NBA doubleheader. Right at first half of the first game. I don't know, West Coast time, that's usually about Five o'clock, 5.30, perfect time for a beer. You can do it. Grab a pack to enjoy today. Learn more and enter for your chance to win at MichelobUltra.com slash courtside, LDA, 21 and up. We're also brought to you by TheRinger.com as well as the Ringer Podcast Network. This is probably the final time we're doing the two-part Sunday gimmick with me and Rosillo. I think, that, I think uh, starting next week, we can probably cram this into one podcast, but we can't do it today. Too much to discuss. We are taping part one. Before Hawks Bucks, a couple hours before, we're going to put that up and then we'll do part two right after Hawks Bucks concludes. Hopefully it's a good game, but lots to discuss in part one, uh, Western Conference Finals and a whole bunch of other subplots. It's all next. First, our friends from Pearl Jam. All right, we're taping this. It is 4.15 Pacific time on Sunday. Bucks Hawks is still more than an hour away. We have no idea what's going to happen in that, but there's enough basketball to talk about right now that we can get going. Ryan Rosillo is here. Last night, as the Suns looked like poised for another playoff collapse during the Chris Paul era, uh, Rosillo had on his protective headgear. He had a mouthpiece in so he wouldn't grit his teeth. And all the signs were there for some sort of the, the latest chapter of a Chris Paul collapse. It did not happen. Uh, as it turned out, both offenses collapsed, but it was somehow better for the Suns. They were able to hold on. They have a 3-1 lead. Chris Paul, now, one game from the NBA Finals, caught a huge break. I feel like the, the Russell, I feel like the announcers every five minutes should mention that the Clippers don't have Kawhi Leonard. Feels important. Just, or they should flash it as a graphic. Hey, by the way, the Clippers don't have one of the best seven players in the league. You could feel it last night. They just, they needed two baskets. They couldn't get them. No, I mean, the teams combined to start two of 21 in the fourth quarter. Uh, 84 points to win a game is the least amount of points any team has scored that's won a game this season, regular playoffs. Any so team. This, 
this any team, no team's ever scored 84 points in one game this year. So it's a little solo there. Uh, the Breen call when they went to Kawhi, though, and saying, and he's so, you know, he's just raging with excitement uh, when they showed him up in the in the luxury seats. That was, and he uh, looked like a cutout. That was yeah. just an all time line. But, you know, I don't, I don't really know what to make of it. I mean, I know there's a bunch of stuff that we're going to get to here. But I don't know if it's the Clippers have played their 17th game in 32 days. I thought at like eight and a half minutes as I was looking at how they were using Paul because they brought him in at the end of the third. Because let's face it, like the concerns about Cameron Payne when he's running the offense, those are very real, even though they got those first two games and he had an incredible game too. So, you know, I'm not, I'm not dissing, but I just felt like everybody was kind of running out there exhausted. And maybe because everybody's so used to all these players being hurt in this playoff season that that's why the Kawhi parts just another footnote. I was thinking last night with Paul George and, you know, in the Utah series, those last two games, he showed this side of himself that's like, oh, that's why I voted for that guy third for MVP a couple of years ago. But to me, he's probably a little closer to Paul Pierce than Kawhi in the sense that he'll just have games when he doesn't have it, you know? And I think the difference between a true superstar and somebody who's like a 1B superstar, which I think Pierce was, right? He He wasn't good enough to be the A guy on a finals team, but he could definitely be the 1B guy. There are nights, Pierce would have these playoff games where he would just go like 5 for 22, you know, 6 for 19. He just didn't have it. And he couldn't get a shot off and had a lot of trouble. And and you you kind of knew by the third quarter. You knew it with Paul George last night. He was doing the thing. He was trying to get lift on his jumpers. You notice how he was almost jumping higher in the thing and he just he couldn't figure it out. So then it becomes a Reggie Jackson situation. And you're just kind of riding him. He took 24 shots last night, but there's not enough offense. If the Clips basically made the decision, we'll go for defense. We'll try to get stops. And hopefully the crowd, we can get some energy. We'll hit a timely three and maybe that'll be enough. It didn't work. And yet with that said, I don't feel like this series is over yet because the Suns team, it's it's a very good team. It's not a great team. And I'm I'm not going to believe they're in the finals till they're actually celebrating that they're in the finals. You know what I mean? I'm, eight and emergence aside, because I do think they have three legit stars. But I do think I could see the Clips going in there and making 19 threes and sending the game six back to L.A. I I'm not completely sold on this Phoenix team. Are you? No, I think good, really good, not great. But I think that's going to be the lesson for whoever wins the finals. I mean, imagine yeah. the Clippers winning this whole thing without Kawhi and the redemption tour. It wouldn't even matter what Paul George's stats were. You'd just be like, this guy won a title without Kawhi if Kawhi doesn't come back, which I, I do want to get to at some point, too, as a topic. Um, well, let's get to it. We get to it now. Well, yeah, but it's the same thing for Milwaukee. I mean, if Milwaukee wins a title, all the things that I was concerned with against a beat-up Nets team where they still almost got eliminated in that, like those things still exist. I mean, the same thing with Philadelphia and the same thing with like, wait a minute, Atlanta's in this? Like Atlanta could very easily win game three. And, you know, again, we'll see what happens later tonight when we tape it. But before we get to Kawhi, let's just give Aiton a little love. Yeah, let's do it now. I'm ready. The The big problem for the Clippers is that when they small teams to death, as we saw with Dallas, when it kind of turned the series and it absolutely turned the series in those closing games against Utah. I mean, Utah just... You know, they kept Gobert out there and they couldn't figure it out. Aiton is the rare species at the legit, like, old-school center position who can stay on the floor against the small lineups. And what you have to do when you're out there and you're still a big is you have to – it's not your offense, even though it would have been nice to see anything from Gobert offensively, but that's just not going to happen. We know who he is as a player. You have to destroy that team on the boards. And Aiton, I mean, look, the offensive rebounds have been incredible in the series – 
but he can stay on the floor, which is kind of the, the hope for any big that any team drafts as a young player. You're like, okay, this guy's really good. We like him. This is awesome. But what happens if everybody goes small in a playoff game? Because there's like another thing that I want to expand on some point with you. Now, it doesn't have to be tonight. But I'm almost to the point where like the real evaluation of every player now comes down to like the last four or six minutes of a playoff game. <laughs> it's like yeah. that's when we learn really who is who in this league because the numbers are so absurd. So Aiton won them game four. He won it with their rebounding. And he's been an incredible story because even in one of the, the wrap-up stories from last night was how Paul admitting that it wasn't always easy this year and Aiton being like, yeah, we, you know, he yelled at me a lot, which is kind of a Chris Paul thing. But I think this is, if you paid attention to Aiton all season, to see him be this is an incredible journey from, I think, at times in the regular season where you're like, what do you do with this guy? Like, who is he? What's his ceiling going to be? Because now my ceiling for him is completely adjusted. Last night, he looked like young Orlando Shaq on some of those plays when the, especially the offensive rebounds so there were rebounds he wasn't even getting but he was near the ball or touching it or almost getting it and there was a relentlessness to him he certainly didn't have it 6 months ago you know i mean he's he's locked in it was interesting i don't know if you noticed this but they Rachel Nichols interviewed Chris after the game and then he finished and Aiton was right there waiting for him Aiton was like he had finished and he was just waiting like it was like he was it really reminded me of Gronk and Brady, which, you know, brings brings us to like the whole Chris Paul piece of it. Like he had such a pr profound impact on Aiden. Aiden was talking about it last night. He was like, this guy completely changed my life. <laughs> like he's brought out stuff for me. I didn't know I had. He's so competitive. I, I just feel like you, you can tell he's just like, I'm blessed to meet this dude. And it was the same stuff you would hear with like Gronk with Brady, where Gronk was just, he would have these 24 ounce Brady Kool-Aids and would be swigging them and eventually falls into Tampa. I feel like Aiton's going to follow Chris Paul wherever he goes <laughs> until he retires, right? Chris Paul's like, hey, we're going to Orlando. It's like, I'm in. I'll get out of my contract. But I think when, you know, let's say Phoenix wins the title and we'll look back at it historically and we'll be like, man, How'd they do that? They, they, Chris was their only top 50 players, 37. And it's like, it wasn't just the season he had. He, he almost gets credit for like half a season for the eight and stuff. He basically willed this dude into becoming a franchise center and this asset that I feel like if we did our top 40 again, I think Aiton would have to be in the top like 18 or 19 now, right? That seems excessive uh, in reacting to... I mean, he was if I'm trying to win Denver a title, too. is there there are 20 guys you'd rather have than him? If I'm trying to, to win the actual title, I actually hate this because then I have. All to right, like I'm go sorry, I, I didn't mean to throw that. No, I don't mean to say like I hate you. I mean, there's a very since like we get really excited in the moment about like if you were to say, "Hey, is eight a top ten player?" Like every TV show, excuse me, every top twenty player, every TV show would look at you in an it like an idiot for even like going. Hold on, let me let me think about this. I, I'm not Maybe saying you're right. Maybe I'm right. saying like top 20 asset if I'm trying to win Assets the NBA different. title. Assets different. Because what you said before about you look at this stuff and you're like, what is this guy going to be like in the last four to six minutes of a playoff game? As we see, there's a lot of assets or great players or whatever. But in the last four to six minutes of the playoff game, I'm not positive I want them as much. Whereas Aiton is like, the dude's a problem. The Clippers had Zubats had to play more minutes last night than he's ever played in an NBA game because they had no other choice. And nobody, nobody else put in eight and 22 rebounds last night. It felt like he had 30. And I, I don't know. I look at the next round Milwaukee's if it's Milwaukee, they're going to have more guys to throw at him. But I, I think this is who he is. I saw a perk tweet last night. I enjoy perks Twitter. I have a bookmark where he said, uh, this All guy the tweets. looks, 
I, I, I have Perk. I don't go to Twitter. I have bookmarked people. Uh, Perk was comparing him to David Robinson. And my first reaction was like, hold on, that's ludicrous. And then my second reaction was like, ah, I can kind of work with this one. Like athletically, he's kind of there. He doesn't have the, the offensive polish Robinson had, but just as a pure run the floor, around the rim, relentless motor athlete, like, you know, he's he's in the proximity of a Robinson comparison. Six months ago, I would have thought that was insane. I would have been like, what do you, you can't compare him to David Robinson. That's nuts, but it's kind of not nuts. Six months ago, it's absolutely nuts. Now, I mean, that one catch where he caught it and then like went to the finger roll, like he yeah. caught it and you look, okay, well, what's he, what's he going to do? Is he going to have any chance in the coordination to catch it and then turn it back towards the rim? I think his catching has gotten better. He still had a couple last night where I, you know, again, if we're trying to give out a perfect grade, but he was the most important player to him. But as you mentioned, the Zubats minutes, the most he's ever played, like that's where the Clippers are like, hey, We'd love to go small here, but we can't because Aiton's going to stay out there all the time. And even if we try to do this attach, like he had a couple possessions where they got him on the switch on the ball handler and he held up big time. I mean, it's not just him protecting the rim or help defense. It's him getting ISOed and having to stay in front of somebody. And he holds up really, really well. So now that part of it isn't there, which I still think, you know, because Paul was bad in the fourth quarter. He was one of seven. Paul, uh, Paul George was one of seven in the fourth quarter. But the thing is, is Chris Paul, you know, he did miss that one free throw, but he was five of six. And even though George was missing ones intentionally, that first one that he missed when they thought he was going to miss the second one intentionally. And then, of course, Boogie Cousins apparently not knowing the rule that it has to touch the rim. That's tough. Um, I, I, he had to have not known the rule, right? There's no way. I, that, my son knows that rule, and my son barely follows basketball. No kidding. He knows that rule? All right. That was. I actually think it's worse. I think Boogie was trying to hit the rim and just missed it by four feet. What's worse, not knowing the rule or knowing the rule and missing it by four feet? I think he knew the rule and was trying to whip it off the rim and couldn't have missed it more. It that's, was a big, that's my yeah. theory. Do you, do you back my uh, Shaq Orlando thing? Because I feel like Shaq Orlando has become this alternate human being, almost <laughs> like there was two ultimate warriors and that we've had two variations of the same celebrity. We have friends, Jennifer Aniston, and then like, 2000s Jennifer Aniston. The breakup don't feel Jennifer like, Aniston. Yeah. yeah, it doesn't feel related to like season one of Friends Jennifer Aniston. It feels like the two different people. Orlando Shaq was just this skinny, crazy athlete who was alley-ooping everything. Aiton's not like that. I mean, Orlando Shaq was 29 a game. But I think from the, we can't keep this guy off the rim standpoint, I think it's legit. I don't think it's reactionary. I, I feel like this is who he is. I think a light bulb clicked with him and I think this is just who he's going to be for the rest of his career. There's a competitiveness to him. This isn't like, oh, he kind of fades. I don't know where he is. You know where he is in every no. quarter of these yeah, games. Right. Yeah, he's, you know? he, he really fights. I mean, even when I wasn't quite sure, then watching him, you know, whether it was the first round against the Lakers and then, I mean, Jokic is sitting there ready to, like, get a summer house with them after those guys play against each other. And when you look at Aiton's numbers – uh, other than Houston, I think, which doesn't count for the most part because of what you're talking about roster-wise there, I think Aiton's best numbers were against Denver this year. So I'm not pushed. Look, my only pushback is that like, okay, David Robinson was an incredibly skilled you know, it's, offensive David Robinson player. was amazing. Right. And even Shaq had more offense. But Aiton has that touch. I mean, Aiton takes some turnaround jumpers where you're like, oh, my God. Aiton takes some elbow jumpers where he kind of settles into it, and it always looks great. 
and he hits his free throws. So the touch, the feel, and who knows, in an alternate universe, if Aiton's the first pick in the mid-90s, you know, maybe he's getting posted up, which is still kind of crazy, too. Like, your offense is struggling this bad for Phoenix. And both offenses were a mess. So I don't even know if it's defensive intensity. I don't know if it's being tired. I think it's all of these things. It's tired. I thought the defense, I thought it was a really physical game last night. Um, yeah, chippy. Very. And it's only going to get more chippy, which I'm kind of looking forward to a little bit. But it's funny that you couldn't even like go, hey, do we just get eight and a touch on the block? Like, do we do we even want? I'm like, telling you, I, I think they should have done it because I feel <laughs> I think he's getting worse. comfortable. No, I really do. I think he's comfortable. The he's the first true center. You know, we've had these kind of pseudo centers modern centers, they call it, stuff like that. And then there's like the Jokic kind of center. And then there's like the Embiid monster center. He's the first true center that felt like where the league was going in the 90s and then with Dwight Howard, where it's just like these these 6'10 to 7 feet, super athletic, mobile, up and down, around the rim. And I think Dwight's a good comparison because when Dwight had his moment, 2009, and he was basically 20 and 15, but they never ran plays for him. Um, I don't feel like he was as fun to watch as Aiton is. And Howard always had the free throw thing hanging over everything too, right? Where you felt like you could foul him in the end of games and then they would have to run the terrible Dwight Howard post that plays for him every once in a while. I think one of the things I love about Aiton is just how additive he is with everything. He just brings stuff to the table. Doesn't really do anything that he can't do, you know, and doesn't, doesn't have an attitude about it. Doesn't seem to disappear. Hasn't gotten in foul trouble in any of these playoff games, which I think there was, I think one, what was that? The Lakers series. But I thought last night had all the makings of like one of these games, Aiton's going to have three fouls in seven minutes, but he continually stays on the court, which I think is a skill too. And the fact that he can make free throws. Um, I just he, love what I see. I, I wrote a list of all the centers who were picked number one overall. And if you put everything down, it's pretty interesting because there's basically, there were six slam dunks. Hakeem, um, so let me let me start with Kareem. Are we going to hear the all three best part. No, no, no. I'm just giving you six. Kareem, Hakeem, Shaq, Robinson, Ewing, and Bill Walton. Right? Those are the six where it's like, man, that worked out great. Even Walton, they won the title with him before he got hurt. It's like, man, that was awesome. Then there's that next tier where it's like Dwight Howard, Ralph Sampson, Bob Lanier, Walt Bellamy, Brad Doherty, Towns, Yao. And I think Aiton's at least in that tier now. And you think like if he can just stay healthy, I think we have a chance to remember him as like a really good number one franchise center pick, which you're thinking like for three years, the narrative was, I can't believe they didn't take Luca. I can kind of see why they took Aiton, but wow, they should have taken Luca. And now it's, I don't know, it's, it's, not the worst thing in the world to have a franchise center who can run the floor, rebound, who gives a shit, who seems like an awesome teammate. <laughs> if they're going to give him the max this summer, he's going to deserve it. He's probably going to get it already, which is yeah. which is the way it works. But you're right. He checks so many of the boxes. And what seemed to happen, because look, I'm telling you, and I think people that watch the Suns all season long, it felt like if he would roll, Paul and Booker would ignore him. You know, there was even some times where it looked like, um, you know, it just they, they didn't trust him enough offensively. I just don't. And I think a lot of the quotes that were after the game last night kind of backed up some of that stuff where Paul was like, you know, we, we really had to work with him. We we're trying to figure it out. 
And to see where he's at now, I'm not pushing back on any kind of ceiling. I, I'm not. Uh, because, yeah. look, he doesn't even – he actually doesn't get in foul trouble. He averages, like, less than three fouls a game for his career. He's 76% from the free throw line. I don't think he shot his free throws as well in this series. But, again, I mean, you can just see it that he's a good free throw shooter. There's three years of evidence against it. But I'll I'll just – my thing about the moment is there's always that's kind of sometimes when we make our mistakes. Like Stephen yep. A. Smith was calling Booker the next Kobe. Well, that's dumb. A week ago. Yeah, no, I don't All agree right. with that. Okay. A week ago, if you had said, hey, I don't know if Booker's a top 10 player, you actually look like an idiot on a show when it's like, man, eh, do your top 10 list and tell me who Booker's ahead of. I'm not saying he can't be a top 10, but he's a hell of a lot closer to 10 than he would be five. So I love everything from Aiton. I'm not going to push back on any of the ceiling stuff, but. Well, we're like how I don't know. I mean, the asset part of it. And I also think this is kind of like a weird Luca thing that's going on because Trey's been awesome uh, for the most part. I mean, whatever. He had a bad game in game two. I don't care. Luca's still I mean, Luca's scary in the comparison, I think, of, of still the guys that have a better case in that draft now. Well, and we're going to do a redraft later just for fun. Just top 10 picks. Here's the thing with eight. And then I think has to be mentioned. When you when we talk about franchise centers, there always comes with flaws, warts. I wish this guy had this. I wish this guy did this. I wish he didn't do this. You know, like with Dwight, kind of a weirdo. Couldn't make free throws. And stop asking for offensive, like, yeah. close games. And that was why he was so mad at Orlando, because he wanted the offense to run through him. And it's like, actually, man, like, you didn't really ever develop anything down there. Embiid, not in shape all the time. Kept getting hurt. Those are two real things, right? Shaq couldn't hit free throws. Um, seemed to, when the going got tough, there were times when it just seemed like he his teams would go sideways for whatever reason. That was a real thing. With Aiton, I don't think he's as talented as Robinson or Shaq or people like that. But, you know, if you're going to talk about like Patrick Ewing, who was, you know, Georgetown Ewing is still the best defense rebounding center I've ever seen. I wasn't old enough to see Russell and I can barely remember Walton. But, Georgetown Ewing, never seen anybody protect the rim and patrol the paint like that. His knees weren't the same in the pros, but he started adding all this stuff offensively and he added a turnaround and he added a jump hook and was a guy who averaged like 29 a game, I think in uh, the 89 or 90 season. And I don't know what Aiton's ceiling is going to be because we never see them run plays for him. He's good hands. Um, he can finish. He's a great offensive rebounder. But if you told me like, all right, five years from now, guess what? Aiton's going to have like this sick 15-foot turnaround and he's going to have like this cool drop step and he's going to be averaging 24 a game. Like, I don't know. I wouldn't rule it out. I wouldn't have, I would have ruled it out six months ago. I just thought he was what he was, but now the ceiling has risen. Um, let's take a quick break and then there's more to hit on this because this is, uh, I like the Aiton topic. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer partner of the NBA. It's just what you need to sit back and enjoy the game. And they're also getting fans closer to the game than ever. You can win exclusive NBA prizes like courtside seats, signed memorabilia, and more. I love Michelob because of how light it is. It's only 95 calories with 2.6 carbs. You know what the perfect time for Michelob Ultra is? A little doubleheader, a little NBA doubleheader. Right at first half of the first game. I don't know, West Coast time, that's usually about Five o'clock, 5.30, perfect time for a beer. You can do it. Grab a pack to enjoy today. Learn more and enter for your chance to win at com slash courtside, LDA, 21 and up. So I mentioned the Tom Brady thing to you. I think one of the cool things 
about Chris and why we always compare him to, you know, the point guards and quarterbacks and stuff like that. Point guard is really the only position where you can have a dramatic impact on other players like that. Like you think about Nash in the mid 2000s on those Suns teams, right? You think about Jason Kidd in the early 2000s with Kittles and Kenyon Martin and uh, even Keith Van Horn or who, all those other dudes that was on there. He was always able to put Richard Jefferson. He was always able to pull the best versions out of those guys. That's what we grew up with, that we grew up with Magic and Bird and, you know, pulling the best versions of the players they played with, which is what a quarterback can do. And, and we've talked about Chris before and when he retires, what he takes with him. I think this is the biggest thing he takes is this quality of if you put the right team around him, the impact he can have on different guys on the team and how they talk about him doesn't really exist. And, you know, as great as Trey is, and I think I, I think he's gotten much better as a teammate. I think he's a very, very good uh, distributor and playmaker and stuff like that. There's that last piece of like, is he going to pull out like a DeAndre Ayton type of metamorphosis performance? I wonder if Chris takes this with him when he retires. I don't know. How do you feel about like, the thought of like the, the kind of the death of the point guard leader, I guess. Yeah, I, I think it's an endangered species. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. I think we've talked about this a little bit before where we were we pointing have. to like specific Chris Paul plays where you go, I think he might be the only point guard left who does this. I think Gary Payton's another guy. I think Gary hmm. Payton was the kind of guy where it was like, all right, you know, I'll get you over here. Okay, let me make sure you get a touch in the corner. Let me get my big a touch. And then he would feel like, okay, wait a minute. Like it's time for me to get mine. Yeah, and he understood the balance of possessions incredibly well. Because I was Stockton, actually talking. Stockton's another one too. Stockton's perfect because Stockton could have shot way more, uh, but he but he didn't. I mean, you know, granted they ran the same <laughs> same thing for for a decade plus, and it worked out really well. Uh, but I do think that that you know, and, and even though I think the trade criticism is fair, I think we're looking at it in the third year in, being like, okay, well, you know, we're we're, we're like Trey's already smashed through so many ceilings that we've had for him that maybe that happens to him even down the road. I would have never thought it would have happened when the first version I've seen him. Hell, Joe Varden had a piece on The Athletic the other day just mentioning after game one, like teammates, specifically Collins and then others, where he was like, you know, it wasn't always easy with Trey either. Um, which again, mm. you know, all you had to do was watch this stuff uh, at his during the younger, younger stage of his career. But the weird thing is, is anytime we had a scoring point guard, we didn't like that guy as a draft prospect. You know? I know it I was, didn't I didn't even like Dame Lillard. Right. And so it was it was okay to only have like what two and a half scores on the floor at the same time because then you needed the rest of the balance. And that's just not what this game is anymore. So like even back to your Aiton point, Aiton may be capable, Aiton may be able to score 25 a game, but like nobody even wants to run a play for him. And here's Chris Paul, who all these things we heard, they never had like one moment, I don't even think, where they said, Hey, why don't we just get him on the block? Like it doesn't yeah. even happen. So it's not I, in the plan. I think scoring is such an emphasis and not just shooting, but making sure you have as many guys that can like hoping to have four, if not five, because the way you you're defended now, if you have somebody out there, you don't have to guard and two guys, you don't have to guard. It's a huge problem. So the scoring point, although frowned upon is the future, which again, eliminates kind of that caring point guard that we see with Chris Paul and some of the other guys that you mentioned that are gone now. Do you think Kate Cunningham could have this quality potentially? I like the way he controls a game. You know, when he was making some of those runs, it wasn't just to scoring. 
It was yeah. decision making. And that's why so many people have him number one. I mean, I'd still need to do more work on him, but that's a lot to ask to go, hey, is this guy going to come in and, and do that kind of stuff? Because like, how many guys, Bill, would you even put in that category? I remember in 05, I, I thought Chris should have been the first pick. And that was what I was writing that year because I watched some of his Georgia Tech games and he was so much better than his teammates. What, Wake? I felt, I, Wake Forest, sorry. Um, he was so much better than his teammates. And you could kind of see it in the games where, you know, like, well, he's shorter in you. I'm just, I was just watching some of the stuff he was doing. Like, man, imagine if he had good teammates. He was mad at everybody. Too, he was, he the was first thing that I loved. He was time. so pissed off. And I'm like, I love this guy. And then he got that punch in the ball moment, whatever. And then he got yeah, a little was, rap for he's a hothead, but he was NC just. NC State game, I think. Yeah. yeah. He was no different in 2005 than he is now. He was ordering everybody around. But I, I do wonder, like, and we talked about this before, but if you're a young point guard, do you emulate Chris or do you emulate Damian Lillard? You probably emulate Damian Lillard and you're taking 25 footers and that's just what the point guard position became. But I'm going to miss it. Um, can we talk about... Um, get the Kawhi stuff in there. Yeah, let's get the Kawhi stuff in there. I think I think the Clippers win the series with Kawhi. I think there's two teams Phoenix would have lost to if the guy, the best guy in the other team didn't get hurt. I, I don't, I'm not being a dick. I just... That's how I feel. I think the Clippers would have been better. Especially like when you think of the breaks that they got in this series. We have Devin Booker playing with a broken nose, which the announcers did not spend nearly enough time in the pregame, postgame, during the game, talking about what it's like to have a broken nose and then try to play basketball and have a mask on and just like how, what a fucking deterrent that is. And then you have Chris post-COVID who's not the same. He was like 14 for 42 in those two games, I think, something like that. Um, and then on top of it, campaign was injured in game three. And then in game four, it was abominable. Um, I just think if the clips had had Kawhi, it's at least two, two right now, and maybe even three, one. And I think they had the best team in the West. I do. Really? So you felt that way? Like, when did that happen? Because it couldn't have happened. I felt that way during the Utah, the game four against Utah that I went to when I didn't realize Kawhi was hurt and out. I left that game thinking they were going to make the finals. Now, the Lakers were out. If the Lakers had been in it, I don't know who wins the Lakers-Clippers series. But I left game four going, wow, that team's going to make the finals. They've figured it out. They've figured out their lineups. They have the Kawhi-George combo. They've figured out how to balance that. And they have three-point shooting. And they're malleable. And that team's making the finals. And then he was never seen again. Uh, Maybe. You know what? I mean, the argument is on your side. Uh, you could also argue the Clippers could be up two one or three one in this series if they made their free throws in Game Four, and Paul George made two free throws at the end of Game Two, and the way they defended the inbounds for the Valley Oop there at Aiton, Cousins played it flat to the baseline and should have been back and shading it. Did you uh, see the TikTok clip of that that the guy took courtside? Yeah, Cousins left the whole basket open. I couldn't. Well, I, it was the first thing I look at because when I first was taught about you know this is what you have to do because. You know, if somebody catches a pass behind you with less than a second, okay, fine. If they make the shot, they make the shot. But that's that's a tougher angle to cut off. So cut off the angle towards the rim, and he played it flat to the baseline, and you know whatever. I mean, by the way, Van Gundy put on an absolute like sensei uh, broadcasting moment there when when he was just he was covering everything. He knew every yeah. single rule. He was he was like on another level. So shout out to Jeff Van Gundy. 
But but somehow I didn't know Booker fouled out yesterday, but that's fine. Everybody kind of forgot Booker fouled. No, it was Mark Jackson was saying they took him out because they, of foul they, trouble. It took it them like, five minutes to realize he fouled out. It was weird. Yeah, that, that I, was I blame weird. the support staff that the broadcast team has. Somebody should point out that right. the best Bill, player in the Suns is fouled support, out. Support staff. Support staff. Cross arrows. Yeah. Right uh, Come on, support staff. Look, look, all right. So maybe you're right. Maybe you're right with this because... You know, if you're going to do that, then you're like, all right, what if Chris Paul? Because you're right. Game three felt like a Chris Paul trying to figure himself out here. And then I thought he was flat out exhausted, but he also didn't shoot it well, too. So I'm not going to sit there and make a ton of excuses for him. Do you think Kawhi may be kind of sucks to deal with? Does anybody bring this up? Because I'm asking you right now. I read all the new stuff today. I've heard all the different varying. I've heard his ACL's gone. I heard it isn't gone. I heard he was shopping for doctors. I heard he isn't. So don't aggregate any of this because I don't know. I'm just saying I've heard a million things. But then the story comes out today that he's not happy with the staff. And I think the one thing that we have learned with Kawhi is nobody knows what's going on. Kawhi just Kawhi just Kawhi's. And you'd think you'd think there might be just a little bit more communication, or maybe I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm so far removed from it that I have no idea. But I'm simply asking it as a theory. Other guys would get crushed for this, and it seems that everybody's just kind of cool with it when if he truly isn't in conversation with the team because he's mad about something like, hey, we're also trying to win a playoff series here and maybe win a title. I know he was at practice a couple of days ago, but I don't know. I don't think he played or anything like that. So it's not like he's just divorced himself from the team. I agree with you. I think it's super weird. I think he is hard to deal with, but he, he reminds me of like a non-fun Manny Ramirez because we, we live the Manny thing. Boston fans for nine years where it's just like this mercurial enigma. You never know what the fuck day to day, week to week, what he's thinking, what he's doing. Why is he upset? Why didn't he run that ball out? And just, he was just an enigma. And that's how Manny being Manny started. And Kawhi, well, Kawhi's Kawhi. Anytime they say, I've always said this, it's an Adam Carolla theory. Anytime somebody says the name twice in a row or twice in the same sentence, you know, the guy's a nightmare. It's like, hey, what's Rosillo like to deal with? Ah, you know, Rosillo's Rosillo, you know? <laughs> it's like, it's basically I'm saying Rosillo's a huge asshole. <laughs> and with Kawhi, you talk to anyone in the Clippers, like, ah, you know, Kawhi's Kawhi. Well, I guess we'll find out when he's going to play. I, I just think this is the league we're in now in 2021. These organizations are so abjectly terrified of their best players. They don't want to cross them, put pressure on them, make them mad. They're afraid to confront them. It's the most bizarre thing in the world. Like the stars run the league, like literally they run the league to the point that this Clippers team's trying to make the finals and Kawhi won't even tell them how he's feeling. It's weird. But we also have evidence. I mean, the San Antonio thing was still weird. Uh, Toronto, he got sent there. The San Antonio thing to Popovich, who is the most beloved coach of the last 20 years, and guys are single-handedly signing up to play in his Olympic team right now who don't even want to go to the Olympics just because he's coaching. And Kawhi was the one guy who who they, even Pop couldn't connect with him. I remember the first time I heard about the discontent with San Antonio. It was through a weird source. It was very weird. And it was like, hey, are you hearing anything about Kawhi and the Spurs like not being on the same page? And I went, I don't know. You know, I don't know. What, mm. I don't know. I'm not there. I'm not a beat guy, but you never know. Rumor, gossipy stuff. And then I sent a note to somebody um, and I could tell when the person didn't respond to me at all. I was like, oh, wait. And then that was the first time we really learned about the real Kawhi. They're like, this guy as you said, is the only dude to just throw his middle finger up at the whole Spurs culture thing. But 
when it comes to the injuries of the players, I don't know what to believe or not because I don't know. Like you'd think the team wants to keep the health of a long-term asset uh, in their best interest, but other people, specifically former athletes that are on television, that are on radio, seem to think that like the team doctors are the most evil people in any professional setting ever. So yeah, and sometimes seems, they are. Yeah, so I'm not. I, that's one of those where I can't really take a side, other than it seems like the players are usually always going to side with the players. So then he goes to Toronto. He didn't know Toronto or anything. He gets him a title. He wants to bounce. Somebody really knew what the hell was going on. That was fine. The stuff about him not wanting to play with LeBron became stronger and stronger uh, as it came down to it. Even though LeBron pitched him and said, "Look, if you're going to play in LA, you've got to be a Laker. You're not going to want to be a Clipper." He's like, "Ah, whatever." Teams up with Paul George, who I don't think he knew enough about Paul George because during the times where it wasn't great, he's probably going like, and then we're even wondering, what if it got really weird? What if they were to lose to Dallas? Could Kawhi say, all right, I'm going to bounce? Like, he's capable of anything. But in your um, position of being scared more now than ever, it's totally accurate. And actually, it's probably the right tact. But you would still think if you're part of a team and all your teammates are counting on you, or they want to know, like, are you in or are you out? Or are they showing up to work every day not really knowing? You think you'd have some allegiance to them to want to, I don't know, convey that a little bit better, I think, than what we're rumored to be hearing. Well, if you're really hurt, it's way better just to say you're really hurt because then people aren't asking everybody, what's, what's going on with Kawhi? When's he come back? Why, why distract everybody else when they're trying to make the finals? And if you're not really hurt, but you're hurt, but not, you know, hurt in a way that you might be able to come back, why not communicate more with it? I, the, the veil of secrecy thing, I've just never understood. Because well, all know it does I, is make people talk about it more. You, you know? know what everybody's going to say? It's like, oh, San Antonio, or excuse me, uh, in this case, Phoenix won't know and it, it messes with. I think that stuff is so overrated. I mean, they maybe don't care. for a game, but yeah. eventually you just tip it up and you're you're not thinking like, Oh, all of our all of our trapping schemes were so confused now because we were we just the uncertainty of Kawhi every single playoff game. I think it matters in football. It, like if you have a big football playoff game and it's like, is Tyreek Hill playing or not? You have to practice like he is and then he's not. Like I can see that if That's it's fine. one game. Yeah. But not for like NBA at some point. It's just like who who's who's out there? All right, let's play those guys. But, but it's the not like you're gonna change what you're doing. The quarterback one is always kind of funny because then people will just it's a religious like, well, you know, now you got to prepare for two guys. You're like, oh, I have to prepare for this guy and Brian Hoyer. Oh, shit. <laughs> oh, no. Tavares Jackson. We got to run plays for his option stuff. Um, yeah, the I, I think it's weird. I think Kawhi's had a very strange career. He's going to go down as one of the best 30 players ever. And he won multiple titles. And I think he would have made the finals this year with that Lakers break. You know, the, the other piece of this. Look, it's post-pandemic. Everybody's out and about. Um, I there could, I wouldn't say there's Clipper fever in LA right now. Like, does it even feel like an LA team is a couple wins away from the NBA Finals? Because it does not. And I don't know. I I don't live in LA. I, I live in like a five block area. I don't. Is, know. Ma is Manhattan Beach on fire with Clippers talk right now? Like, I, it's like. That the two games at the Staples Center recently, where everybody in your life, like, oh man, can't trying to get down to the to the Staples to see the Clips playoff game. Whatever they tried to do here doesn't seem like it's succeeded in a win over the local landscape way. I just feel like people care way more about the Dodgers right now, personally. I mean, I've heard a lot of Dodgers stuff. People talk about how hard it is to get into Dodger Stadium. 
you know, and you have the Clippers are building this new arena. It's just all of it's weird. And would you bet your life that Kawhi's on the team next year? No, I wouldn't bet my. I mean, honestly, would you bet your life if Kawhi dot dot dot? Every time the answer is going to be no. <laughs> would you? It's a crazy. It's a crazy one because I really, honestly, genuinely think they would have made the finals. I think they would have beaten Phoenix. I think they had a, a more complete team. And and you think they had a more complete team than Phoenix? I think that was the one thing we all liked about Phoenix. I think they were deeper and more malleable and had more ways to win a game. You've even seen with the with the Sun stuff. Booker's a star. Booker's not a every single game I'm giving you 29. He's not at that level yet. I think he could get there in two years. He's a, if you see him on the right night, you're like, wow, Devin Booker. He's really put it together, but he's still a little inconsistent. And it's one of those things like when you talk about real greatness, the consistency is the last piece of it, right? You get, you could even talk about like high school, a club soccer team, anything. It's like, there's always that one kid who's every game, you know what you're getting from that kid. And that's the best part in the team. I still don't feel like with Booker, do I know every game he's going to put up 29 to 34? Like Dame, like the way Dame, the level Dame got to over the last couple of years, where you're just like, I know what I'm getting from Dame. Was the rest of the team going to show up? I don't know if Booker's quite there yet. But I think, so with the Clippers, like I just feel like between Kawhi and George, every single game, one of those guys was awesome. You know? And so it was like, it was like a superstar combo thing where you just knew one of those guys was going to be really good in the game. And that was a huge advantage. I just like the team. The Reggie Jackson part of it, it's been incredible. I mean, you know, look, I know he didn't shoot a very well in game four, but he's actually a guy now where he pulls up, you're scared of him. I mean, that's how good he is as an ISO offensive player. And then uh, taking centers off the dribble and being kind of unafraid. And I don't know. I, I certainly didn't see any of it coming in my lifetime. Here's here's what I would push back on all of. We're talking Let's about Booker with a broken nose. We're talking about yep. COVID Chris Paul. So whatever version of the Suns that you've seen still up 3-1. If you're saying, hey, give me Kawhi, all right, well, let me let me get no COVID Chris Paul and no broken nose face mask Booker where he took the mask off. Yeah. Um, Fair. I, don't know, I, I still like the Suns. And I also think there was a weird moment for Paul George where now he had no excuses. Like it was only about you now. You mm. can't rely on Chris or Kawhi Leonard to bail you out. So it felt like Paul Paul George responded to that in a big way. Uh, maybe if Kawhi is still around, we're still sitting there wondering if Kawhi wants to stick around and attach himself to Paul George under contract. The other part of Kawhi, like if he's actually this hurt again, he may just take all that money from the Clippers anyway. Just go, whatever. Hmm. Like, I'm just going to take it all now and then I'll figure it out. And I'll ask out if I want to because I'm Kawhi Leonard. Here's where I'll argue against myself. Here's the case for the Suns. Their big three now that Aiton has gone up a level is really good. They don't have like that top eleven in the league superstar, but when Aiton's your third best guy, it's pre- it's a pretty good spot to be in. I I would say he might be other than what Brooklyn has the best third guy in the league now, right? For, Over Marcus go- Smart. Oh shit! I got to think about that more. Let's take uh, one more break. This episode is brought to you by Simply Safe. Summer is all about fun vacations, but I know that being away from home can be stressful. So many things can happen. That's why I like to recommend Simply Safe, award-winning security that can help give you peace of mind when you're away. The only thing you should worry about while you're on vacation is having too much fun. Having my home, it's great. 
Couldn't work better. I think Simply Safe is the best because it comes with a variety of indoor and outdoor cameras, sensors to detect break ins, fires, floods, and more. It's backed by 24 7 professional monitoring for less than a dollar a day. It's given me, my family, many others real peace of mind. I'm waiting to have it too. Try it out. A 60 day money back guarantee. No contracts right now. Get 20% off any Simply Safe system with fast protect monitoring at simplysafe.com slash BS. That is simply safe with two S, simplysafe.com slash BS. There's no safe like Simply Safe. This episode is brought to you by Verbo. You know, it is already stressful enough to deal with airports, delayed flights, bad weather. You want your actual where you're staying experience to be perfect, to be lights out. You don't want to have to worry about anything. When you book a vacation rental, you want to know exactly what you're paying ahead of time. The stress of getting hit with unexpected cleaning fees after your stay. That can immediately cancel out all the great time you just spent unwinding. Thankfully, when you book with Verbo, you can see the total price upfront. There are no unpleasant surprises and the savings do not stop there, my friends. When you book with Verbo, you earn 2% cash back toward your next vacation through the One Key Rewards program, letting your money do the work for you while you've got your feet up. So while other vacation rentals can feel like a roll of the dice, relax knowing you booked a Verbo. Book your next private vacation rental in the Verbo app. Last thing on Suns Clips, the, the demons factor. See if the Suns, only two finals ever, right? 76 and 93. And then in this series, it's looking great. And then Chris Paul gets COVID and Booker breaks his nose. And all of a sudden you're like, uh-oh. But now it seems, okay, still 3-1. It's not done yet. Chris Paul has, as he said uh, in the interview yesterday, it's not like he doesn't have a history with 3-1 leads. Then you have the Clippers, who, again, I left that Utah game four thinking that they, they were going to make the finals. Like, Jesus Christ, I'm going to get to go to finals games in LA. This is amazing. And then now you have the Clipper demons kicking up, which they've had some of the worst luck of any franchise ever. It's almost like a demon loser leaves town match. Loser demon leaves town retirement, match. Retirement <laughs> demon retirement match. match. I guess the Suns could get it back if, uh, if the finals happen. Um, and they, they lose a, a finals thing. But, um, so you like, you think if Kawhi was playing, you would still like the Suns. I know that sounds ridiculous because how close the series opinion. has been, but I mean, which version of the Suns am I getting? Am I getting COVID Chris Paul and broken nose Booker? Then you're right. Then I think Kawhi wins. But if we're, if we're playing an imaginary game here and everybody's square and there aren't any of these issues, I still really like Phoenix. 2018 redraft. Lucas still goes first. All right, let me pull up my notes here. I don't want anyone to get crazy and think Luca, who's the best 22-year-old player we've ever had in the league, isn't going first because he is. Would anyone? I mean, I know there's always one guy nah, out there that does what we stop. do. Right. Second okay. pick, Trey or Aiton? I have got to be Trey. I had Trey too. Trey, Trey single-handedly doing what he can do offensively and not being dependent on anyone else uh, breaks. It's not even a tie. So Trey uh, proving he can win multiple rounds as the best player on a playoff team. Yeah. Lands him the second spot. Aiton, I think, is a worthy third. It's a great draft. Those are three really good picks. Aiton's going to make multiple all-star teams. Over Robert Williams. I had him over time, Mark. Okay. I have Who, Aiton third as well. So after that drop-off, and I think it's either SGA, Porter, or Triple J. Who do you have? 
SGA because I mean what he his his statistical season this year was insane but also invisible. So well, and then um, he became the first guy ever to the youngest guy ever to be tanking vict- victimized by tanking. He's like twenty two, not allowed to play. I ha- I also had SGA fourth, and I had Porter fifth over uh, Triple J. Yeah, I do too. I mean Porter, we know. His shot making is like really, really special. Um, defensively, he's improved from almost unplayable to still potentially a disaster. There's not like if you want to be a little anti-porter, you could say he's got to start doing some of those other things to be a star in the league. But the fact that he goes from middle of the first round pick, despite the high school pedigree, because his medicals were red flag city to hitting big shots in big games. I mean, his shot making alone, this is probably the lowest he could go because I, I really don't think you can put anybody else ahead of him here because of the ceiling, too, for the offense. Fair. There's an, a major injury risk thing with him, though. And even like he barely made it through a, a round and a half in the playoffs before he was banged up in there. And that's everyone talks about how bad his medicals were, all that stuff. He, to me, he has to be a top five and I have him fifth. Uh, I had Triple J six but make the kevin herter case for me um an energy that he brings to your franchise that could that can carry you in the darkest days especially because he's so pale he's you can actually see him in the dark <laughs> we do have triple j or herter at six i bet you herter still has there's no i in team high school shirts <laughs> uh i have mikhail bridges after porter jr wow okay I put Triple J and then I had Bridges and then Herter. That was my okay. seven, eight, nine. The reason I had Triple J is he, he's still like 21. He's he's like one of those, wait, how young is he? He's like 21. He might be 22 now, but Verno pointed this out to me. Um, he's He came in the, when he got drafted, I think he was 18. So he was born September, 1999. So he turns 22 in September. Talent-wise... He's probably no worse than third or fourth in this draft. But when you factor in the injuries, like I could see him, an argument for him still being fifth ahead of Porter Jr., ahead of Bridges. Yeah. Um, but I, I like the way Bridges fits. I think Bridges could, you know, if you wanted to put him, if he was on a terrible team, we'd probably be talking about Mikael Bridges, like, wow, what's this guy's ceiling? But I think he plugs in all the holes. Well, for- you know, I love him. You know yeah, what I so, love about him? He was like one for six. I think it was game one or game two. And they ran the game winning play. Oh, it was the, ga- it was the game when it went out of bounds. And then uh, it led to the alley-oop. The valley-oop. I called it the eight-noop, but valley-oop's better. But they ran the game winning play for Bridges. And he was like one, two for six. Or, you know, he. it's not like he was like lighting it up. But they really trusted him, which I thought was cool. Did you uh, get any retweets off the eight-noop? Because I'm wondering, like, did it just not catch on? Was it the time of day when you did it? I just didn't see value, but you know what? I'll be honest with you. I think eight years ago, I would have seen it. I think it was just age. <laughs> 20 years ago, I definitely see it. I see it right away. Eight years ago, I think I see it. Now, you know, now that I'm 51 years old, didn't see it, missed it. You're five years away from tweeting out amazing dunk. I've heard her nine. I have Miles Bridges 10. And I have Colin Sexton 11. I was surprised that Sexton didn't make my top 10, but he just didn't. 
His metrics are horrible. Yeah, he's really, he doesn't seem like he's a winning player. Although after what happened with Trey the last six months, I'm I'm now like super gun shy to say somebody's a good, good stats, bad team guy. But everything we saw from Sexton, it just seems like it doesn't translate to wins yet. So I'm going to say yet, because who knows? Maybe he'll see. Okay, wait a minute. You went, you went faster. Give me your, give me your six through 10 slash 11 again. Luca, Trey, Aiton, SGA. We agreed on that. We agreed yeah. on Porter five. Uh, Triple J, Bridges, Herder, Miles Bridges, Sexton. So I have Sexton 10th. I'm sorry, I kind of went. No Mitchell Robinson? No, he gets hurt too much. I had him ninth and I put Sexton 10th. I got to be honest. I Rob thought Williams is 11th though. I thought long and hard about Grayson Allen and where I could shoehorn him in. Cause I, when you talk about guys in the last six minutes of a playoff game, I do think he's one of those guys. I really trust him in, in close playoff games. I think he's not afraid to shoot. He knows where to go. And I wish the Celtics had somebody like him. Define how long you spent on debating Grayson Allen being the 10th guy. I thought about him versus Sexton from this standpoint. I know Sexton's a better basketball player. But if I'm trying to win the title, which of those two guys is more realistic to have in a nine-man rotation? Because if Sexton is my point guard, that means I'm losing the point guard battle against just about everybody else in the league every night. Right? Unless he's a backup for me. Unless he's campaign for me, basically. But if I, I have Grayson Allen, it's like, that's my ninth man. I know what he is. And I feel like that's somebody who could be in a championship rotation. I think for Sexton... Campaign's a good example. It's like, can he be campaign on a winning team? Yeah. But I think he thinks he's should be a star. And that's where it gets dicey for me with the good stats, bad team guys. I was, uh, I was, Sexton was the biggest question I had going into the whole thing. I thought the rest of it was pretty self-explanatory. Bridges over Jackson because of the health. If Jackson is healthy, I think we'd see a version of him where you go, hey, I really like Bridges, but you could go with Jackson because of what he could be. But Sexton... I actually did spend too much time on the sexist part of it because I kept trying to find better stats and they're all terrible. Yeah, they're all bad. And then you just go, okay, but he can still get 20 a game. I can't have 10 guys ahead of him. Aaron Holiday, Marvin Bagley, and Wendell Carter Jr. are still on the board. What is your draft room telling you? My accountant has told me to take the loss in the Wendell Wendell Carter Jr. (laughs) position for a while. He's He's like, let's just take it. And I Let's go, say, oh. it's good. It's good for the rest of your stocks. Write yeah. this one off as a loss. It's and good I'm for like, the other gains. I'm like, yeah, but are the doors still open. <laughs> they still have an HR department over there. I'm not company? writing him off yet. Uh, How about I Bagley? Think, I think Bagley would be better somewhere else. I just don't think he's very good. That's a tough one for Sacramento to end up with Bagley in the Luca trade draft when you had the second pick. It's tough. It's tough. Uh, the Kings are going to come up once again for us in one second. But first, we did a draft lottery live show. It was, it was presented good. by State Farm. Had a great time. Every single year, you've got these fresh new talents applying mad pressure on the court to achieve their spot in the draft. It's actually refreshing to see these new faces and learn what they're all about. You know, you think about, I don't know, Jalen Green. He's a new face looming. We didn't really get to watch him play college. There's rumors he could, could go as high as second pick to the Houston I, Rockets. I think there's a team that would have taken him one had they won the lottery. But they didn't. 
How about this? I'm not ruling him out for one. Are you a Jalen Green guy? I, I'm not an anyone guy yet. I haven't done enough research yet. But I think, I do think he's going to go to Houston at two. And here's the thing. You can't always anticipate who will get drafted for next season. But with State Farm, you can yeah, anticipate you can. the personalized service of a local agent offer a surprisingly great rate, like a They're good neighbor. Local. Yeah, like a good neighbor. State Farm is there. Uh, with that draft, quickly, because you you did you had KOC on yours. I did the live lottery show. But I've been looking at it. I started doing my homework. Love it. I have two predictions. I think Kaminga drops. I've done all my initial Kaminga uh, recon. And there's some red flags that I don't like. I don't like when they switch high schools. There's a lot of high school switches that, that scares me immediately. And I didn't like the the G League thing that he had. Wait, wait, be more specific. G Ambi League thing that he had. What you <laughs> well, like, there's ambivalent competition issues with him. Um, oh, oh, okay. So you're talking about him specifically, his his G League yeah. games, yeah. Um, and he just seems to me Orlando has five and eight, and it seems like one of those things where Orlando will pass on him at five and be like, "Oh man, we've made this mistake before." But then at eight, he'll be too enticing to turn down, and they'll take him. And um, my point is, so I'm I'm obsessed with the Warriors at seven here because I really think if they nail the right guy that they, they will be the favorite in the West next year. But the draft still has to shake out correctly for them, right? And one of the things they need to happen is for Kaminga to go like five or six to push down somebody who actually might play for them next year. I do not think that's going to happen. And I think they're going to be in this situation where Scotty Barnes is probably going to go fifth because I think he's going to be the Patrick Williams of this year where he everybody just likes him. He gets more and more buzz and he goes fifth, maybe even fourth. Maybe there's like a Toronto thing. Who knows? But Kaminga drops. So at seven, the Warriors with Donovan Mitchell's spiritual brother, Damian, six feet, turns 23 next season. Can I just uh, interject real quick? Yeah. Because I just feel like Jordan Mitchell, Donovan Mitchell's brother has been like left out a lot. So there's, yeah, sorry. I just want I just want to give him a message. Sorry, Jordan. I'm glad we gave him some love. But I think seven seems like it's too early. All the all of our ringer draft people think it's too early to take him. Golden State's at seven and fourteen. And I'm just so fascinated to see what they do because on Zach Lowe's podcast, they were talking about could Wiseman seven and fourteen, what could that get you? How high could that get you in this draft? Could that get you to two? Could that get you to Houston? Would Houston be like, cool, we get Wiseman 7 and 14 for two. And then if you go in state, you take Mobley and Mobley could play right away for you. Um, I'm just fascinated to see what they do with that. What do you think? If they internally think Wiseman sucks, then okay. But then you're still taking another guy that you're still not 100% sure of, even if the valuation, the newness factor always adds value to it. I was wondering... Would you do Wiggins seven and fourteen for Simmons? Would you do it if you're Philly? Wow, that's a good one. You never you thought you, of that one. You made me stop, and my brain started. Wiggins seven and fourteen. I don't think I would do it if I was Golden State. There's a one reason why I wouldn't. And it's I don't. I don't think you play Simmons and Green together. I, very you're good. Three on five offensively. Past. What if you were Golden State and said, "All right, we'll do it for a year, but then we'll move on from Draymond." And now we have Simmons as this switching, ridiculous perimeter guy 
that's going to have all sorts of just open runs to the hoop because you're going to have to guard our spacing. They still have to add probably more shooting. But Well, do you think Golden State would do the thousand points of light? We bring Ben Simmons into our world and we'll we'll turn him into the superstar he's meant to be because we're the Golden State Warriors? I think they'd love the idea of him not having you know, a huge, really good center in the middle of, of what they were doing the whole time. But I think a lot of people are lying to themselves about the Ben Simmons evolution and what the ultimate version of him is going to be. It's going to look better somewhere else away from Embiid, but I still think those limitations for him as a perimeter player are always going to be there. I'd be shocked. Like, you seriously think like in three years, you're like, man, everybody said Ben Simmons couldn't shoot. Look at him now. Like, he actually I've had more. Happen? I've had more Ben Simmons off the podcast just shooting the shit conversations with basketball people in my life than any player... <laughs> In a, in a couple of years. And well, the thing the I've consensus? been saying... Give me the extremes. Give me the consensus. The, this is what I can't get past. How is he better in the, in the last three years other than defensively he's gone up a level? But what offensively, what's better about him than in 2018 against the Celtics in that playoff series? How has he changed? What has he added? I think he's worse because he's even less confident now from the free throw line. And then you hear this stuff about he's a perfectionist. That's why he doesn't shoot threes. That's what Jackie Mack was hypothesizing on the pod uh, on Thursday. You know, he wants, he wants to be good so badly. He's afraid to fail. Basically. I just don't know what he is because he's 24 now. And look, Shit can happen, new situations, all that stuff. And I think you and I both feel like he could be the front man for some fast-paced team where he's like the five. We've talked about this 17 times. Right, probably not a great team though, right? It's probably not a great team. And I just really, I don't like when guys don't get better. Really, it really bothers me. And I feel the same way about some of the Celtics guys that we've had over the years where you just look at like, I'm looking at Marcus Smart. It's like, is Marcus Smart better than he was three years ago? He's not even, he's in his late 20s now. It's, what has he added? How is he better? Well, oh, he's a slightly better three-point shooter. It's like, do you think they're going in? What's he better at? I feel like physically he's worse. I don't feel like he's as good of a defender as he was three years ago. You know, with Simmons, I think he's an incredible defensive player. And the Philly buzz has already started from their side. But hey, watch out with saying that Ben was awful in that series because he made Trey look, go look at Trey's stats, go look at Trey's stats in the series. I've heard all those arguments. I just feel like he's such a liability offensively. Why would you trade real assets for him? That's the part I don't get. Like, I think Philly, Philly today with all this Dame Miller stuff probably thinks that they're in the mix if Dame gets traded with a Simmons package. And it's like, let me tell you something. You're, you're probably not. That's not enough to get Dame Lillard. No, I mean, unless there was some really weird power play where you go like Harden, where you say, hey, this is where I want to go. And it still wasn't a certainty, you know, but he ended up, Harden ended up getting his way. But I, I don't think <laughs> Ben Simmons is going to say, oh, excuse me, I should, we should frame it the other way. I don't, I don't know if Dame is going to go, I only want to go to Philly, so figure it out. Um, that would That'd be cool know. if he said that. that would I be, think Dame and Embiid together would be really fun. Uh, I think it'd be awesome. But um, the Simmons, no, the Simmons stuff, I want to stay on it just real quick yeah. because everything you said is fair. Like some guys just don't get better. Some guys actually don't get better. And I, I, I don't know for the Golden State side of it. I was, I was, you know, trying to figure out if there were different trades available, all this different stuff. The Draymond and Simmons on the floor at the same time thing is a problem. 
It's just a problem. And honestly, if you were Philly, are you sure you want to sign it for Wiggins? As bad as they need a ball handling creator who can drive, shoot, like they need somebody that, you know, we're talking about a really good player, a profile of a really good player, of a guy that can, you know, like a Devin Booker type. I mean, if Philly had a Devin Booker type, they'd be they'd be so much better and different and you'd have to worry about him in such different ways at the end of a playoff game, but they're not going to get him, obviously. Um, Wiggins and Philly would be tough for Wiggins. Wiggins and Philly just isn't enough. It's just it's just No, not I'm just enough. saying, I don't right. know if their fans would really, You're, that's not a Philly type agreement. of player. Well, yeah. all right, let's say by some miracle, the, the Harden thing is redone and Lord says, I demand to play in Philly. And they trade a whole bunch of assets to get Dame. And then Philly, I mean, I'm sorry, Portland at that point, you probably have to trade McCollum too and you're doing the full rebuild, right? And then maybe Ben Simmons gets the bad rebuilding team we thought he deserved anyway. Uh, we should talk about, well, actually, I want. I had a couple more lottery things for you. Zach brought this up on his pod. I had been thinking it all week, but I don't want to seem like I stole from Zach because Zach's my guy. But basically, why would an OKC completely overpay for Cade Cunningham if they thought he was that good. I guess the question is nobody's sure if Cade Cunningham's that good, but if you're OKC, you have so many picks, why not just pay 150 cents on the dollar for an asset? And in this case, if you got Cade, you have Cade and SGA. Now I have like a real backcourt. That's now, now there's something going on here, right? Now I have something. This is a foundation. And if Poku ends up being good, which I'm more than dubious of, but now that now I really have something. So can Cade and Poku play together? Is probably the real. Question I don't know. Would, would Poku want Cade? Would he demand no. a trade? No, <laughs> he wants four rebounders. <laughs> oh, but uh, but the whole model of somebody saying this is the part Zach didn't say. We've seen this happen in NBA trades, right? Where the 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 price for what teams are willing to give up to get a star transformed over the last four years. And you had it with the Kawhi trade, the Anthony Davis trade, the fucking Drew Holiday trade. Where it's like, wow, they just get they gave away a shitload. I can't believe it. But nobody's doing that with draft picks yet. And I wonder, like, could OKC be the first team who says, "Fuck it, we're overpaying for your, for the asset that we want." They might be. It's an awesome question. It's a great discussion. The only thing I would present, and I'm not saying. No, that's ridiculous because maybe it is. Maybe that would happen. I could see Presti still being like, who cares that I have 17 picks in the first round, 18 picks here, and all these second rounders. Um, I'm not just going to overpay because I have the picks. That's well, like he wants base- to win every trade, as they always say. That's that's yeah. why this wouldn't happen. Because you have to suck it up at some point and be like, all right, I'm, I'm, history will show that I gave up too much for this asset. But as part of a larger plan. Now, we, we talked about this on the lottery show because KOC was on it immediately with OKC trading up. They could go from six to three and go to grab that Cleveland pick, get some, you know, so it's like a mini trade up and still get in the top three and do it that way if they want. Because if Jalen Green is there at three, I'm not, I, I, Cleveland has already made this mistake before, but the classic mistake of, oh, we already have guards. We don't need Jalen Green. <laughs> Meanwhile, he's a better prospect than both of the guards they have. So I don't know. I I feel like there's trade up potential with OKC. Yeah, it would depend on how it broke down. But it, like, if Oklahoma City really liked Jalen Green and he's still sitting there at three, that's fine. But that also means if they really like Jalen Green, do they like him 
as much as like, do they like him better than Cunningham? So if they depends on what their evaluation of Cunningham is, which we're never going to know because, you know, Presti keeps it uh, pretty tight there. He does. So I, I think it's a really interesting topic. I just don't know if he fits the profile of a GM who's like, ah, screw it. Let's just throw three, three extra picks at these guys and, and go get Cade Cunningham. Cade Cunningham, not the no-brainer number one pick like we've had in some years, even though I think people like him. Yeah, he feels like he's been presented that way all year, but I don't think that's... It's that this isn't Anthony Davis. No, no, that's the best way to... I mean, even Blake Griffin, even though that, yeah. that happened a little bit later. The funny one was Towns. Towns wasn't like the slam... Like Okafor, the beginning of that year, was supposed to be the guy. Um, Barrett was supposed to be better than Zion. So if you go through it, there's different ones. There was even Derek Rose was a late right. He was. It was like, you know what? Hey, you know who might go one is Rose. Rose might go one. Yeah. Then he has a tournament run and all that kind of stuff. So I would not put, I'm with you. I wouldn't put Cade in the Anthony Davis uh, category. I think of guys. there's real Jalen Green could go one or two potential. And I've only begin, begun to do my work and begun to talk to people. But I think these GMs want the home run upside pick, especially like if you're Raphael Stone. You take Mobley, like, great. Mobley will be a really, really good player. I like him a lot. Um, but Green could be a superstar, you know? And we saw it last year with Edwards in Minnesota where the closer that draft came, they got, they became seduced by the superstar possibility with him. Maybe it happens with Green. Green really might be that good. You know? But I think for Detroit, it's probably there's some culture stuff there, too. We had Jarrett Jack on my pod, and I wanted to have him on specifically because he played for Team McKnight. Yeah. And I was talking with KOC about this this week as well. When you would do like, all right, so I, this week, whatever, I did my Franz Wagner scouting report. I did mm. um, the kid from Texas, Greg Brown, not Kai. I'd already done that one. Whenever you're going and jumping from the college player, and then you go back and watch Jalen Green, the level of competition is dramatic like it's a big jump playing in those g league games and even more so because the g league was i think only 10 teams this year with everything else that was going on so you had ignite with you know four draft picks maybe and then Jarrett jack was the point guard and you know Jarrett jack in a g league game still looks really good and i asked jack i was like i really wanted to have him on to kind of hear his story but then also you know he did some chris ball we did some step stuff but i was like give me a breakdown of like Jalen green and kaminga I got the sense from the way he described the two that he felt like there was a pretty big gap. And yet Green and Kaminga, going back months, have always been top five players where Green is anywhere from like three, four. Kaminga's almost always been fifth. Some people like Jalen Suggs more than they like Jalen Green because they like his personality and his mm. intensity. But the Jalen Green physical skills and moments, even in a G League game where I'm telling you college to G League, that jump is significant. There's moments where Jalen Green's like, whoa. Like what the what the hell was that? And there's a ten year vet that he's going up against. So yeah, it's a little mm. loose. You know, the shot selection isn't great. But I've for some of these really raw kids that haven't had a ton of coaching. <laughs> as much as I always want to see like somebody show me the basketball skills, like Jalen Green, excuse me, Jalen Suggs had like checks all the boxes on the basketball instinct stuff that you'd want. Green doesn't necessarily as much, but Green's physical gifts in a G League level are still more impressive than anybody else. And it's interesting because Houston at two needs a guy like that. You know, whether if if 
people decide green is close to Mobley or relatively even whatever, I do feel like Houston would take green because that's the kind, especially if you're shitty, he can make a ton of mistakes as you're, you know, one of your lead scorers the first year and then you get to suck again, which is something else they'd want. I really like Moby though. I'm, I'm, I think if he falls to three, one of the trades I was thinking was, um, who's the fifth pick Orlando. Yeah. So Orlando has five and eight Cleveland has three. Cleveland also has love who were in the middle of a Kevin love rejuvenation tour. Cause he made the Olympic team. And there there's, I think three and Kevin love for Simmons is too much. But if they traded three for five and eight and they gave up something else with the five and eight, Orlando moved up to three. And then they had five and they had eight. And then you trade five in Kevin Love for Simmons. Or eight in Kevin Love for Simmons. What's the right, what's the right combo you think? Five? It's gotta be five, right? I don't know what Kevin Love is right now. So as bad as the Ben Simmons market is. Like, I still have hope that Kevin Love in a certain situation. So you're worried that he hasn't played for three years? Yeah, basically? I don't know. That's that's, that's one a, of the things. It's that a red flag? <laughs> that yeah. he's openly quit on plays during games? I'm complicated that way where I, I just need to see you play a little bit more. Yeah. Um, I think as bad as the Simmons market feels right now, it's probably better than that once you actually started talking about potential trades. And look, they're already going to figure this stuff out. I still think clutch is like the biggest part of the whole Ben Simmons thing. Because I don't know if they're going to care about a timeline. You know, hey, let's we don't want him there. Let's figure this whole thing out. I mean, yeah. Clutch pulls something a couple months into the season. We were like, wait, what? And then like I we both know Daryl. I think Daryl liked watching the end of those games. So No, that violated <laughs> seven Sloan conference rooms. Wait, before we're gonna go because we have uh Hawks Bucks coming up, but before we go, speaking of Kevin Love. The Olympic team, Durant, Tatum, Lillard, Booker, and Draymond, I think are the starters. Middleton, Beal, Holiday, Levine, Bam, and then Love and Jeremy Grant were the last two. I My questions, I, I can't believe Kevin Love made the team. I thought that was so weird. I really, I was, I was like kind of shocked. And I, I'm not doing the what Jalen said about they need a white guy because there's been years where they haven't had one. Yeah, I didn't understand that. I like I, I it, but it was a tough yeah, argument a bad considering thing. you... It's an awful one. Jalen's my Jalen's my brother. That was a bad take. I would make fun of him if he joined the Zoom right now. Um, but he's right to be like, why the fuck is this guy in the team? He shouldn't be. He didn't didn't deserve to be on it. My first question: So is eight eligible to be on this team or not? Because he's born the Bahamas. in the Bahamas. I never know how that goes. So maybe he's not eligible. Because let me tell you something. You know, you're gonna have I, to I would tell me to have, ahead of time if we're gonna have to talk about. No, like, no. It, maybe the the, re, the listeners will tell us. But I, I just, I'm telling you, I would kind of like DeAndre Ayton on our Olympic team if that was conceivable. Um, second, did Trey Young turn the team down? Like, what happened? What happened with Trey Young? How is he not on this team? I don't understand. Like, Drew Holiday's the backup point guard, but Drew Holiday's barely a point guard. I just, I want ball handling in the Olympics. So that bothered me. Uh, I also, I would add Herder over Jeremy Grant. The Jeremy Grant thing, I think he's been working out with KD and I think KD called that one in. Don't get mad at me, KD. It's just a theory. Wait a minute. Did you go on the record just now saying what you think, <laughs> I think KD I may think have Jeremy, said? Yeah, no, I think Jeremy Grant was working out and watched it with KD. No, I don't know. I'm, I'm making it up. I'm just trying to get KD to tweet at me. Uh, 
I don't, I don't, I don't understand the grant thing at all. I don't know where that came from. Well, it sounds like a bunch of guys didn't want to play. And considering everything that's happened in the last two years, I don't blame anybody for not wanting to do it. But the Olympic thing is very cyclical. We'll put over a lesser team, don't do as well, then everybody gets fired up. We turn to Mel Gibson and the Patriot overnight. All right. So that's usually what'll happen. We gotta get our I know you know, I do. We gotta have some disappointing um outcomes for everybody else to go. But I don't I don't blame any of the major guys not wanting to go ahead and do this. Um the Kevin Love part, I didn't quite get, I'll admit. Um, but roster wise, like, give me two guys you you wish could be added to this. Um, Herder. <laughs> I I actually Herder had twenty seven in a game seven. I want to see him in an international play now. I just think Herder Herder's game lends itself to international play better than Jeremy Grant. Like. We do this all the time when we're putting together these teams. We did it two years ago at the World Championships team. Some guys don't make sense for international basketball. I want like, I just give me threes and somebody who knows how to go to the right spots. And that's Herter. By the way, that guy's barely going to play. Um, I thought Dylan Brooks would have been a good one. Dylan Brooks could start an international incident. That's why I liked it. I got excited. I... My two, if if I could do Love and Grant over again, I would add Herter and Dylan Brooks, assuming I can't have Aiton or Trey Young, because Aiton and Trey Young are the two logical. Why aren't those guys on the team, guys? But assuming they're off the board, I would have done Herter and Dylan Brooks. Dylan Brooks would have been amazing in the Olympics. Who would have cared more? It'd be like, oh my god, we're at forty eight. Dylan Brooks is in a fight with somebody from Switzerland. He's he's been picking up full court. I love uh, you, Dylan Brooks. By the way, historian Bill Simmons, Hakeem played for USA Dream Team 2 in 96. Yeah, but he, but he did U.S. But citizenship. He did. He became a U.S. citizen in 93. So I'm just, look, I'm just giving you the, the intro of the story. Duncan. Duncan, um, U.S. Virgin Islands. U.S. Virgin Islands, but I think that's different. U.S. Virgin Islands being the main part there. Um, Aiton from the Bahamas has played for his national team, um, but he has to be a U.S. citizen. And then FIBA has to make an exception, I believe. So they were what saying- What are we doing? Maybe, what are you doing, Jerry Colangelo? So they were saying maybe in 2024 for Aiden. All right. Hey, can we get on this? We need DeAndre Aiden for 2024. Right, we, By the way, we would have needed him this year. I think they go crunch time, Durant, Tatum, Lillard, Booker, and then the fifth guy is either Draymond or Bam. Crunch time, we're playing a good team. That has to be the crunch time, right? I think we should do something with Gobert. We just go, hey, citizen you up. <laughs> let's let's have we're, you play against some France international games. With small yeah. ball? Yeah, and we're just going to let's So we go Gobert Durant against Gobert. Up. We go Durant, Tatum, Lillard, Booker, and uh, Brad Beal, and we just shoot Gobert off the court. It has to happen for him an international ball, too. Uh, all right. Well, let's get Aiton on the 2024 team. That was it for part one, and uh, and we are coming back for part two after Bucks Hawks. Our producer was the one, the only, the most special man in the universe, Kyle Creighton. We'll see you for part two after the game.
This episode is brought to you by Dr. Squatch. What you use in your personal care routine matters, so upgrade your lineup with Dr. Squatch. They have high-performing natural products with no harmful ingredients. That'll have you looking and smelling your best, like their wood barrel bourbon bar soap and lotion or their bay rum deodorant. They even have some limited edition soaps like their Avengers and Star Wars collections. Those seem like they'd be fun to try. And right now, they have an amazing offer for new customers. Get 20% off your first purchase of any amount or a subscription order by going to drsquatch.com slash Simmons or use the code Simmons at checkout. 